Welcome to the Texas Values Report. My name is Nicole Hudgens. I'm sitting in for Jonathan Sines, and I'm the policy analyst for Texas Values. We're the largest statewide organization focusing on faith, family, and freedom. This is our first show in the new year, so happy 2018. We're so glad you took the time to join us. We have got a really exciting show today, and if you want to to know more information about Texas Values, you can go to our website at txvalues.org. And we also want to send out a very special thank you to those who donated to us. We met our year-end goal so that we continue the can continue the work uh, working at the Texas Capitol, being involved in the courts, and being a voice in the media. So thank you so much. And if you want to make that year-end goal, you can always go to txvalues.org. And want to jump right in. We've got some really good news in the state of Texas that's been happening. The Trump administration has ended religious discrimination against Texas churches. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott and the Attorney General Ken Paxton announced this week that the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is also known as FEMA, has approved their request to allow churches and religious organizations to receive the same public assistance available to other nonprofits aiding in Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. Some of you may, obviously, you know what's been happening with Hurricane Harvey, and there have been so many incredible nonprofits that have been willing to jump in and help. Um, But there have been a few issues that we'll get into why uh, FEMA was not letting them participate be a part of of the the relief efforts as it related to federal funding. And the FEMA's guidelines, which had been revised during the Obama era, previously excluded churches and facilities established or primarily used for religious activities. So here at Texas Values, we expressed our full support, um, and we actually signed on to a letter to the White House with our friends at First Liberty Institute urging the Trump administration to put an end to the discriminatory FEMA directive um, that was from September of last year. And today to talk about it uh, is we have a very special guest from Beckett Fund, uh, Mr. Daniel Bloomberg, and he's a counsel for Beckett. And before joining Beckett, he clerked for Chief Judge Alice M. Bachelor of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit and served as litigation counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. He's had a number of clients, including, but not limited to, uh, an international order of nuns, the world's largest religious media organization, synagogues, uh, members of the U.S. military, religious health care ministries, peaceful protester, religious colleges. He's worked on some really important cases at the U.S. Supreme Court, including Zubik versus Burwell, Little Sisters of the Poor, um, and so many others. And um, he now is certainly working with uh, Beckett Fund and earned his uh, law degree from South Carolina. Um, And if I read this correctly, Daniel, I think uh, I read you have a wife, five children, and a noisy beagle. (laughs) So it sounds like a very noisy beagle. Yeah, a very noisy beagle. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming to the show, Daniel. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, Nicole. 
Absolutely. And first, if you don't mind telling us just briefly about Beckett Fund for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the organization, and then we'd love to hear how you've been working on this case uh, that's very important to Texans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Beckett is a religious liberty law firm. We represent people of all faiths. We like to say from Anglican to Zoroastrian and everything (laughs) in between. And uh, we've We've had a lot of different cases at the U.S. Supreme Court. We've represented Lutherans and uh, Catholics and Evangelicals and Muslims at the U.S. Supreme Court to protect their rights. And, you know, one of the great things about religious liberty is that when you protect the the religious liberty of one faith group, you're really protecting it for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the reasons why we are involved in this very important litigation regarding FEMA is FEMA had a discriminatory rule that said, hey, listen, we know that a lot of nonprofits are really important to rebuilding communities after disaster, right? If you just, if you just fix the roads, then you're not going to be fixing the community. And so they had a policy that allowed a lot of nonprofits to get help with getting back on their feet after major disasters. But unfortunately, churches were excluded from that policy. They were excluded from being able to get access to this relief just because they were churches, not for any other reason not because they weren't providing public service. In fact, they were normally providing more public service than the other kind of nonprofits that were eligible. But the churches were excluded just because they were churches. Churches, synagogues, other houses of worship categorically kicked to the curb. Wow. And we thought that was wrong. And we've actually been working with members of Congress and others for several years now to try to fix this policy. The policy was started during the Clinton administration. It's been used against houses of worship after major disasters like Hurricane Harvey, or yeah, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Katrina, and um, and even Superstorm Sandy recently, and so you had situations, for instance, where after uh, Hurricane Katrina, there was a uh, small African American church that was buried in twenty feet of water, twenty feet of water when the Lower Ninth Ward flooded, and there were literally there were literally boats tied to the steeple at the high water mark, right, oh completely destroyed. But then, while, you know, museums and zoos and places that do cephalopod research and community centers that hold neighborhood barbecues, while all those folks were able to get access to FEMA relief to help their communities get back on their feet, that church was denied any help from FEMA under this policy just because it was a church. And that's happened to many, many different houses of worship all across the country. And, uh, and so we got involved, and we represented three Texas churches— Harvest Family Church, um, Highway Tabernacle, and Rockport First Assembly of God, all that are located, two of them are, first two are located right around the, the Houston area, and then the Rockport is obviously down in Rockport, mm-hmm. right where the, high, the, uh, the, earth, the Hurricane Harvey made landfall. Mm-hmm. And they were devastated by the storm, right? They were wiped out. They, they had significant flooding. One of them, uh, Highway Tabernacle, had not just you know three feet of flooding in its sanctuary, but it had a flash flood that went through, that, you know, compromise the foundations of the building. And, you know, one of the really interesting things about this whole situation, too, is that houses of worship are essential disaster recovery, right? Mm -hmm. There was a study done shortly after Hurricane Harvey and Irma finished their devastation that looked at all the different resources that were being poured into helping communities get back on their feet. Eighty percent of those resources, 80 percent of the people pouring in the time and effort were coming from nonprofits, and most of those were coming from religious organizations. Wow. And yet, and, and that, was true for, that was true for our clients, too. Highway Tabernacle, after Hurricane Rita, after Hurricane Ike, and then after Hurricane Harvey, 
has been a, a FEMA disaster relief center. You know, FEMA's come in there, they use their facilities to help provide support to the community. The church housed 70 evacuees for weeks and weeks. In fact, they still have evacuees that are staying in their facilities, the ones that didn't get destroyed by the flooding. Um, and they're just, and, you know, just the other day when I called and spoke to the pastor to let him know about the good news, the policy change, um, he, he was calling me. I could, I could hear the cold in his face because he said, I've been outside all day handing out food for over 200 people who had come there to get supplies because they're still recovering from Hurricane Harvey. That's the kind of people that were being rejected under FEMA's old policy, which is just crazy. It's not just, not just wrong and not just unconstitutional. It's crazy. Right. And, and so the really good news. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Nicole. Sorry, oh, I'm all excited. No, no, that's that is really exciting. And I actually lived in Louisiana during the time of Hurricane Katrina and thankfully not uh, not the areas that were that were flooded. But where I lived, there were so many um, people who were evacuating from the Baton Rouge area, New Orleans area, trying to get up to Shreveport, the Shreveport area. And um, it took years for them to to recover you know, down south where that hurricane was. Mm-hmm. And now with mm-hmm. seeing the devastation of Hurricane Harvey, I mean, it was it almost it looks worse than Katrina, um, where it will take so many years. Like you said, you know, you've got pastors who are still feeding people. I mean, I, I have friends that their houses are still being rebuilt. Um, this is going to be a long term effort. And I think what's so great about churches is that they're so invested in the community. They're in it for the long haul. You know, you've you've got those who are able to come in quickly right after the the tragedy strikes, but then you've got those in these amazing you know religious churches, synagogues that are willing to stay in it for the long haul because it's going to take that much time to recover. So, you know, if if we've got the opportunity for these churches to be able to continue their work, you know, they shouldn't be punished because, you know, because of their sincerely held religious beliefs. That's right. That's right. It makes no sense to refuse to help the helpers, right? right? The folks who are often on the front lines of disaster recovery to say, we're not going to help you, and the only reason why we're not going to help you is because you're religious. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense, and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, thankfully, so we, we filed a lawsuit, and when it became clear that unfortunately FEMA is going to continue enforcing the same old policy that had been used to hurt other houses of worship after major disasters, we filed a lawsuit back in September, we filed another one in, uh, in November on behalf of two synagogues in Florida that had been harmed by Hurricane Irma. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we had to fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, we, the district court ended up denying relief to the uh, churches. We went to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit put us on an expedited schedule so things would move along quickly, but it wasn't able to give us what we needed right then to protect these churches. So we had to go all the way to Justice Alito, who is the circuit justice for the Fifth Circuit, and ask him you know, to to help the churches here, you know, to provide just some immediate relief, because we're talking about disaster recovery. This is, you know, mold waits for no man, and uh, certainly for no bureaucrat. Right. And so getting FEMA to change its policy, it wasn't good enough that it might change in a year or two years. It needed to change now. Right. And so, and Justice Alito, it told, you know, he looked at FEMA and said, FEMA, you need to tell me by January 10th why you're doing this. Right? He issued an order for them to talk to him about what this policy was. January 2nd, the uh, FEMA, FEMA said, you know what, it's time to change. We don't have to go back to Justice Alito and tell him that we're discriminating on the basis of religion. And, uh, and so that's, yeah, you know, this week, on uh, just Tuesday night, FEMA announced that it changed, would change its policy just yesterday. 
uh, January 4th, they issued the new policy. And the new policy is a good policy. It says, how's the worship going to tr- be treated like every other nonprofit that's eligible for these kind of funds? They're not going to get special treatment. They're just going to get equal treatment. And that's what the Constitution requires. It's what the First Amendment requires. And it makes a lot of sense when we're talking about disaster recovery. You know, when, when there's a fire and the, the local church is burning down, the firefighters don't say, ah, you know, I'd help you, but look, the establishment clause says I can't. No. Right. They go and put out the fire. And when there's a, a natural disaster like Hurricane Harvey, that's one of the most costly in our nation's history, FEMA shouldn't pull out, you know, pull out its policy and said, ah, sorry, I can't help you, even though you're helping everybody else. We're going to have to leave you on the sidelines. And so this new policy is an important and good change. You know, the, the big question now is, will it be implemented the right way? Mm-hmm. It looks that way right now. We're watching things very closely to make sure that, you know, churches and synagogues and other houses of worship are going to get a fair shake. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that update, Daniel. This is, we so appreciate the work that you've been doing on this um, important case. And we're so thankful to see, you know, the changes in law that are going to directly affect Texans. Uh, so thank you so much for your work. And, and just briefly, if people want to find out more about the case uh, on y'all's, y'all's website, could you give us uh, the the web address that they can go to? Absolutely. Go to BeckettLaw.org. That's B-E-C-K-E-T Law.org. And just type in FEMA. And you'll find there's a couple different case pages that have lots of information. There's a video that you can find on there that talks about in the situation of Highway Tabernacle, you can find out more about Rockport First Assembly and Harvest Family. You know, these are all churches that are still trying to get back on their feet. They still need help. Even though FEMA is going to treat them fairly, that's not going to cover all their needs. So, you know, this is a great opportunity to step up and learn and help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. We really appreciate it and keep up the great work. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Well, that was Daniel Bloomberg from the Beckett Fund. We're so thankful for the work he's doing, and we're so thankful for the churches and the nonprofits who've been on the ground during the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. I know that our team was able to go down and work a bit with Samaritan's Purse. They're doing amazing work, and having seen the devastation firsthand, you know, even if it was just for a day, just seeing how uh, families have been so, so affected by by the storm, but also seeing the hope of those who are on the ground and and helping. And so we're so thankful to hear uh, about what's happening um, and the changes in policy with with FEMA on this issue. And switching gears a bit, uh, many of you may remember in 2012, there was an Austin City Ordinance that actually would punish crisis pregnancy centers by forcing them to put up signs with misleading information about the work that they do. And thankfully, Jonathan Signs was on a legal team with First Liberty to help defend groups like Austin Pregnancy Resource Center and the Roman Catholic Diocese of Austin, those who are really helping women in crisis pregnancies. And thankfully, not only did they win, but the city of Austin was forced to pay $480,000 because of the damages that they did uh, in trying to force uh, that ordinance through. What's interesting, though, is that this type of case is actually going to be seen at the U.S. Supreme Court, not the specific case in Austin, but actually uh, it's a case from California. 
And with us today, we have Alliance Defending Freedom's Kevin Terrio. He's the senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, he's the vice president for the Center for Life. He's litigated a number of cases on religious freedom issues, life issues, marriage and family. Uh, and he's been litigating on these issues since 1993. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. And can you update us with what's happening uh, on this issue at the U.S. Supreme Court? Sure. There has been an effort by pro-abortion or organizations and forces to try to paint pregnancy centers as deceptive and that kind of thing, when, of course, pregnancy centers provided an enormous amount of help to women in the form of uh, blankets and baby clothes and prenatal vitamins. Some of them are doing ultrasounds now. And, and, if, and, and we have cases and evidence that, of course, the, the pro-abortion uh, clinics like Planned Parenthood really shunt women towards abortion mm -hmm. and manipulate them to try to get an abortion, whereas pregnancy centers are attempting to convince women that there are other options like adoption, like carrying your child to term, and they can help you with those. Well, the, uh, you know, the pro-abortion forces don't like that. And so groups like NARAL and Planned Parenthood have been asking municipalities like in Austin and even states like in California and Hawaii to pass laws which would uh, force pregnancy centers, pregnancy help centers, pregnancy care centers uh, to uh, basically refer for abortion sometimes, tell women where they can get a free abortion, and uh, try to begin their conversation with women in a way that uh, makes them want to reject, as they did in Austin, reject the uh, uh, the opportunity to come in and get counseling about their real options and not just about abortion. So uh, what happened in California is they passed a law that said that if you are a licensed pregnancy center, if you pro provide things like ultrasounds as well as baby blankets and prenatal violence and parenting classes, then you have to tell a expected mother when she comes in, you have to tell her and her partner if it's a, uh, it, whether she's coming in for um, counseling about her baby or just to get baby clothes and diapers. You have to tell her that she can get free uh, uh, abortion and free contraceptives, abortion-causing drugs, at this number, and they have to call a state number, and there they can get um, a referral for Planned Parenthood and other abortionists. Of course, this is uh, uh, this is uh, completely contrary to the very mission that these uh, pro-life organizations have, and they don't want to do it. Um, there have been numerous cases similar to it, uh, like the one in Austin. There have been a, a couple in Maryland, one in New York. And generally speaking, courts have said that, no, you can't, you can't force someone to, you can't compel someone to speak something they don't want to do, certainly when it's completely contrary to their mission. And, uh, but California enacted a law that said that they had to. And, of course, we, we've challenged that in court. Wow. Well, you know, certainly I know Texans uh, and especially those in Austin can relate to, to now what's happening uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court. But this is this is a really big case, a really important case. Um, do you know, are there any dates set of when a hearing will be or are there any other details that people can can learn about the case? Yeah. So the good news is the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case and hopefully resolve this problem once and for all that these these keep popping up around the country. Um, and we, our brief is due before the court uh, on Monday. As a matter of fact, we're oh, going to wow. file it on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so, so we've been working 
diligently over the break on on that, and uh, been about five or six of us attorneys have been working hard on that. Uh, the the other side will file their brief next month, and then a hearing will probably be in March, where the court hasn't set a hearing date yet. And then once the court hears oral arguments, then it will rule probably in June of this year. And we're uh, certainly hopeful and cautiously optimistic that the court will understand that this is compelled speech that is completely contrary to the founding principles of uh, our nation. You shouldn't be forced to say something uh, that you disagree with, and certainly by the government uh, that has a contrary point of view like uh, California does. Right. Well, and you know, like you said, these crisis pregnancy centers do so much for these young women. I know I've been to a number of banquets and and talked with many of those who volunteer their time. I mean, they many of them don't even get paid, but they are there for these young women who are in such, you know, re- some really tough situations. But these um, volunteers are there to help. Like you said, everything from baby blankets. Some of them are doing ultrasounds. Some of them are even. Um, I know we've got someone here in San Antonio that's becoming uh, a medical clinic. I mean, just incredible work that they're doing, helping their communities. And then to have, you know, the state come after you, you know, really forcing you to do something you don't want to do and really shows the major bias towards Planned Parenthood and these pro-abortion groups uh, rather than letting these um, amazing volunteer organizations uh, help those in need. That's right. And they really do a, a lot of great work. And you can go on our website at adflegal.org. And there's a there's a, um, a video there of a, one of the women and her her now um, five or six year old child that was helped directly by one of the pregnancy centers that California is attacking and that we're representing before the Supreme Court. Um, there are about 130 centers that uh, are members of NIFLA. Um, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, and uh, and they uh, and they they just do some incredible work, uh, not only in California but all across the country. And so we're real excited to be able to represent them, not only NIFLA but also other pro-life uh, pregnancy centers across the country who really do work hard and volunteer their time most of the time um, to help women re- have a true option when they're faced with a pregnancy that they didn't expect. That's right. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for the work you're doing on this case. I know it's so important for our nation. And thank you again for the work you're doing with ADF. Y'all, y'all just really are, um, are great help uh, to those who are, you know, those nonprofit organizations and religious freedom groups and, and so many other um, organizations. So thank you for the work you're doing. You're certainly welcome, and thanks for having me on today, Nicole. Absolutely. You have a, you have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was Kevin Terrio from Alliance Defending Freedom. And we've just had the privilege of, of working with groups like Alliance Defending Freedom and others. Uh, and like you heard, you know, this is a case that Austinites can certainly relate to. Um, I've had, a, had the privilege of, of meeting those who worked at who work at Austin Pregnancy Resource Center, and I can tell you, you know, firsthand, the work that those women do are—it's just absolutely incredible. Um, they really do care uh, for these girls who need their help the most, and so it's exciting to see that this case is going before the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, you think about what would happen um, if these crisis pregnancy centers would be forced 
to refer to abortion clinics. Um, you know, if we're really going to talk about choice, uh, let them continue to serve in the, in the way that they do. Uh, but we just so appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show today. Like I said, if you want to go to our website, txvalues.org, uh, go to our Facebook page, our Twitter page. We do our best to make sure you are up to date on all these issues as it relates to churches that have been serving in relief efforts for Hurricane Harvey, to what's happening at the U.S. Supreme Court on important issues like life. Uh, as many of you know, we were at this, the legislature at the Capitol Every day uh, during the legislative session working on life, marriage, religious freedom issues, Uh, we were helping with the Privacy Act. Uh, And then during the interim session, you know, some people say, oh, what are y'all doing during the interim? Well, we're (laughs) we're working on all kinds of things. Last year, we defended a Christmas poster, uh, making sure that a Christmas poster could be put up and clean. Um, we're helping with school in school districts, those who are having to face some really uh, troubling policies. We are on the ground working on these issues and making sure that you're informed on what's happening for faith, family, and freedom. So if you want to learn more, go to our website, txvalues.org. Uh, if you'd like to make a donation, you still can. And we're so thankful again that we were able to meet our year-end goal. Uh, very exciting. So thank you. Thank you to all who have given, and stay tuned for next week's episode of the Texas Values Report. I'm Nicole Hedgens, and have a great afternoon.